Well, last week we talked about the sensation that many, if not most people have at times in their life, that something is missing. The, the feeling that there has to be more to this life. And while that's true for many, if not most people, it can also be true for many, if not most, followers of Jesus who are looking for more in the Christian life. John 15 is after the Last Supper, the night before the cross. Jesus is teaching the apostles about what is often missing in our lives, and a word that he refers to as abiding And that's how we experience Jesus in a deep way. And so that's why I've entitled today's message, Experiencing Jesus. Now, after Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, he calls the apostles and all of his followers. That would include us if you're here watching today and you're not a follower. I'm really glad that you're watching. But he calls all of us to what I would call an an interior life of intimacy with God that has an outward expression. So both are very important. You, you can't have the inward without the outward, and the outward without the inward, it just doesn't work. Here in John 15, we see Jesus views what the Bible refers to as discipleship. Now let's just stop there for one second. In our culture, we think disciples are like these super Christians, but that is not at all how the Scripture speaks of it. A disciple is simply a a learner and follower of Jesus. So everyone who would say that they are a Christian is supposed to be following Christ's model of discipleship. Every follower of Jesus is a disciple in terms of being attached to Jesus and what Jesus refers to in this chapter as fruit-bearing. It's important to be clear, and we'll begin to look at this more next week, that fruit-bearing is a result of, uh, of abiding in Jesus, of being attached to the Jesus, attached to Jesus, not to human achievement. So if a, if a branch of a tree has a piece of fruit on it, it's because it's attached to the, to the tree. And that's what Jesus is going to explain to us today. Uh, let's set the scene. Last Supper is over. Judas And the thing about Judas is he goes off to betray Jesus. Why? I'm convinced that Judas lost his identity. His identity was no longer in being a follower of Jesus. His identity was in his own agenda. And Jesus knows that Judas has gone off. The the apostles know that the town is hot. A lot of people, it's Passover week. A lot of people hate Jesus. They're, They're looking for him. They know the religious leaders want to kill him. Jesus has been telling the apostles, that they're trying to, going to try and kill him. And Jesus just says to them, has just said to them, I leave you peace. Now you got to be thinking, is that possible with all the trouble that's going on in Jerusalem? Is that possible with all of the trouble that's going on in our country and in our world? To have an inner peace, an inner stability in light of the, the unstable, instability and the peaceless world around us. Jesus would say, yes, it is possible. How? By continually abiding or being attached to him and, be, and by continually experiencing him. At the end of chapter 14, he says this, Arise, let us go from here. And now 
Jesus is going to teach the apostles about abiding by using a familiar image to the apostles, a vine in a vineyard. Now, sometimes people wonder, were they actually walking through an actual vineyard? I don't know. And while that might be a picture that we have, they would have, even there's a vineyard or not, a very different picture in their minds because as being raised as religious Jews, they knew that in the Old Testament, the vineyard or the picture of a vineyard was an image of Israel. And they were God's vineyard. And despite God's love, very sad, despite God's love, the nation was not a fruit-bearing nation. They were not bearing the fruit of God, if you will. And at times, they were just like this wild growth. They were not really a tame or neat vineyard at all. There's a lot of places in the Old Testament we could look at. If you're taking notes, you might want to write down Psalm 80. It's a long explanation of it, but I'm just going to read from Isaiah 5, just one of the verses in the midst of a longer explanation. Isaiah 5, 7, he says, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house, that, that means nation, of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. In other words, he delighted in the people of Judah. He looked for justice, but behold, what did he find? Oppression. Another version says bloodshed. Another version says injustice. For righteousness, in other words, he looked for righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. Another version says he heard a cry of distress. So in other words, the Lord is completely displeased with the vine or, or the vineyard of Israel. Now, to experience a fulfilled Christian life, now, that does not mean the absence of trouble. Let's make sure we, we nail that one down. A fulfilled Christian life does not mean the absence of trouble. To bear fruit as an individual follower of Jesus and a church, fruit that is pleasing to God, that we'll begin a lot more talking about next week, well, some of it to this week, and that is really the theme of chapter 15, is bearing fruit. But unless you're abiding, it's impossible to bear fruit. To experience Jesus, we're going to look at four aspects of that today. Now, before we start, for those of you who are more theologically minded, uh, this outline drives me up the wall. Even though I came up with it or the Lord gave it to me or it just popped into my head. And the reason it does is some of the points are so expansive we could spend 10, 15 weeks on each point. So whenever that happens to somebody like me, it just drives me crazy. So some of you are like, it doesn't drive me crazy at all. That's great. Good for you. You're not a geek like me. But, but because some of the things are just the huge topics. So number one, to experience Jesus. We experience Jesus through the Trinity. We experience Jesus through the Trinity. There you go. There's a 15-week series right there. Let's look at verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. So Jesus begins with, I am. Now, the religious leaders, if they were there, the hair on the back of their neck would go up because that I am is the Old Testament name of God. This is the last of Jesus' seven I am statements. Some people will debate 
and say that there's eight of them. You can go ahead and look that up on the internet. But he says, I am, the name of God, the true vine. Now, there is so basically he said, I am God, and I am the true vine. I am what Israel should have been. I am the true Israel. I am, I am the one, the, the beloved of God that Israel was supposed to point to. And so since Jesus is the true vine, if we're a branch off the vine, a right relationship with Jesus is essential to experience the blessings of our Heavenly Father. And the truth of the matter is, the sad truth, is that God's view of Israel's fruit was often one that the fruit was dead, you know, dead fruit on the ground, or it was even toxic or poisonous at times. And let's not be so arrogant to think that in the American church, oh, God could never think of us in that way. And so they were, they were dead, toxic at times. Well, why? Well, one of their biggest problems was that Israel assumed, like many people still do today, that they were connected to God by birth. You know, my grandma was a, prayed the rosary, so I'm in. Or that they were connected by God just because they did the whole temple thing, or for us, the whole church thing. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's not it. Jesus is saying, I'm the true vine. You must be connected to me. Now, when he says true vine, I don't think he means that, I, like he's saying, I'm the true vine. That's the opposite of being false. Rather, I think he's telling them, I am the perfect vine. I am the enduring vine. I am the fruitful vine. I am the eternal vine. And Jesus also says, my father, another thing the religious leaders hated about Jesus. These are the things that got Jesus killed, going around saying, I am, using the name of God, saying God is my father, not the father of the people, my father. He says, my father is the vine dresser. Some versions say the vine keeper. Some versions say the gardener. And so what are we supposed to get in our mind? We're supposed to get in our mind a picture of the great, wonderful, fatherly care of God for his people. So here you have the vineyard of God. God is the gardener, and he's coming in, and he's taking care of his people, and he's blessing his people, and yet he would say that they have become wild, toxic, and even dead. Well, like any gardener, God watches over the crop. He, he tends the crop. He cares for the crop in the same way that, that he, our Heavenly Father, watches over all who are connected to the vine, who is the true vine, who is Jesus. And the Apostle John has learned from Jesus, like the other apostles, that the Father and Son always work together. They have a common goal. They, 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 they hold each other up. They, they bring glory to one another. They're, they're on the same team, if you will. And here Jesus is showing us his dependency upon his heavenly Father. I'm the true vine, but he's the keeper of the vineyard. Don't forget that it was the Father who sent the Son, John 3.16. Don't forget that it's the Father 
who sends the Holy Spirit when Jesus asks, John 14, 16. So there you have your Trinity right there. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Once again, in the way that the, that the Father watches over the vine, Jesus, he also watches over those who are in Christ, followers of Jesus, united to Jesus through faith and trust. And what our Father also does is he empowers us through the Holy Spirit, he equips us through the person and power of God the Holy Spirit for fruit-bearing, and at the same time, hopefully, kills hopelessness and laziness. So that's number one. Number two, we experience Jesus through pruning. We experience Jesus through pruning. Now, for many of you, I think you should pay careful attention to this because you may be right now or have been in your life and didn't realize it, you were being pruned by our Heavenly Father. I want to read this verse twice. Every branch in me that Jesus says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. Now, remember Jesus is the true vine, so we're offshoots of the vine. His father is the gardener, the vine dresser, the keeper of the vineyard. So he says, verse 2, every branch. So no exemptions and no excuses. Everybody, every branch, talking to the apostles, talking to people. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he that would be my heavenly Father, takes away. Now, we're going to talk about some of that next week, but for now, we're focusing on the pruning. And every, no exemptions, no excuses, every branch that bears fruit, it's healthy, it's bearing fruit, notice this, he prunes. If you don't know what prunes is, I mean, he gets out the cutters, and he's, and he's cutting them back. He gets out those little cutters, and he's cutting the, he's cutting the branches back, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. Now, we're going to talk to the gardeners in the group. All you gardeners, what do you do with the branches that have no fruit or no flowers? You get rid of them. You pull them out. You cut them out. Why? Because they are dead. They are in the way. They are hindering the good branches from other growth, strangling them, if you will, at times. And what here Jesus says, so the gardener does what? He takes them away. He takes them away. Now, this is the story of Judas Iscariot. This is actually, I know this is not easy to hear, but this is the hearing this stuff and changing the way you think. This is the way you get to heaven. This is the story of Judas and many, many church people in some ways, you could say they were, they were close to Jesus. They were in church. They were around the things of God. They, you know, those kinds of things like Judas. Judas was around Jesus. He was the treasurer. But they were not attached to Jesus. They're close, 
but they're not attached. They're fruitless, and they don't remain close and attached to Jesus. Well, why would Judas do this? Well, in the case of Judas, he did not abide. He was not connected to Christ. He was not dependent on Christ. And I suspect in his life, I suspect, and I've studied Judas a lot because as some of you know, I portrayed him in my eighth grade play. (laughs) 50% of my class when asked about what they thought about Judas named my name, which is always encouraging. So you're here now listening to Pastor Judas. (laughs) but, But I suspect he was bitter because things were not turning out the way they expected the way he expected. And for a lot of people, when things don't turn out the way we expect, that can lead us to a lot of bitterness. And I have seen so many people fall away from the faith or begin to become unfruitful in their faith because of bitterness. And I don't know how much self-centeredness and false expectations could be extinguished by abiding in Jesus. Failure to abide in Jesus makes it very, very easy for you and for me to take the cup of bitterness from the evil one and chug it down. And the thing about the cup of bitterness is It's slow to take effect. And even when you realize that you drank it and you think, I've got to get on a better better course, the side effects of bitterness are not easy to kick. A lot of times we think, oh, I'm good. You know, the guy gave me, you know, some some medicine to take, some penicillin or some something like that to take, and you think, oh, I'm, I'm all better. But then you realize, I'm still kind of funky. And sometimes you don't even realize it. You're just living out your bitterness. Perhaps you saw, I think it came out last week, the, the new Barna survey. Uh, for four months into COVID, one out of three professing, professing Christians have stopped attending church. They're just done. Plenty of online options, plenty of other options they could go to, but they're just done. And there could be many reasons why. There could be many excuses why, including bitterness could be one of the reasons. And I just want to say this, friend, if you're watching us today and that's you, you're like one of the people who would have filled out the poll or you did fill out the poll and you're like, yeah, I'm done with church and you're with us here today, can I just tell you, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are so glad you came back. And we pray that you would remain. Now, some of you might say, yeah, but Pastor Jim, what we just read, it's too late. It says that the Lord takes away the unfruitful branch. And I feel like I'm an unfruitful branch. This is a very interesting thing regarding this word. Remember, translators could go from one language to another is always not that easy. Sometimes you, uh, for my Spanish friends, I always say to them, can you define the word entonces for me? And they're like, I can't, yeah, I can't really define it. It's more like a, uh. If somebody says to you, what does uh mean? We're like, I don't know, (laughs) uh, right? So sometimes when you go from one language to another, 
There's a difficulty in, in translating because it could be taken in a couple different ways. Well, when it says that it takes, that the Lord takes away, it can also mean, that word can also mean that the Lord lifts up. Now, when we get to verse 6, it's different. But here, and I think that may influence the translators in this verse, but it, what does that mean, lifts up? Well, let's just say you're a gardener and you have a, a vine that's growing along the ground and you know that fruit only grows on that kind of vine, not when it's along the ground or animals will come along and eat it, whatever it is, you know that you have to take it and you have to prop it up. What do they call it, a trellis? You have to put it up onto a trellis. And so here, God could be saying that when he takes it away, that I lift you up. In other words, I take something that is unfruitful, that is growing wild, I lift it up, I prop it up, so it's, if you will, airborne, up in the air, on the trellis, on a stick or whatever, and I'm giving it a chance to grow. I'm convinced with all my heart and I know that you could, we could argue the ins and outs of the, of the eternal destiny of Judas. But I can't think of any other reason why Jesus would have washed his feet other than to say to him, I, I know you're slinking along the ground. I want to lift you up. I love you, man. I want to give you a chance. And perhaps the Lord is saying to you and to me today, I want to lift you up. I want to give you a chance to abide. I want to give you a chance to grow. The, the soul-searching question is then, will you let him? Will you let your heavenly Father lift you up today? Now this will become, if it's, this is what he's saying, this will become a hugely important encouragement to the apostles when they desert Jesus, when he is arrested, and when he dies on the cross. Then, like Judas, they will appear spiritually dead, but God will raise them up. You say, oh, but, but, no buts on this one. There's no buts on this one. Those guys fail big time, but God will raise them up to bring glory to God, and they will produce Tremendous spiritual fruit. So gardeners, what about the branches that are growing? Will you take care of them? And notice what it says here. He prunes the ones that are growing that it may bear more fruit. So gardeners, you know this, and you, sometimes you, if you ever see somebody who pruned a garden, you're like, oh, that looks terrible. And then in a few weeks, you're like, oh my gosh, it looks great. The Lord prunes to promote, to produce, and secure the fruitfulness of followers of Jesus that are abiding in Jesus. This is an extremely important part of being a follower of Jesus. Why does God cut back and prune? Well, honestly, uh, as for a garden, a garden left to itself, people left to themselves, produce lots of unproductive growth. And especially a vineyard will do that. But when it's healthy, a vineyard produces lush, delicious fruit and wine. And wine is a picture of joy in the Bible. And so our Heavenly Father sometimes prunes us back 
to get us into that place. So gardeners, how do you prune? You cut. You cut. And sometimes you cut a lot. And for a follower of Jesus, God's pruning. Please hear this, loved ones. For a follower of Jesus, God's pruning can be very, very painful. It can often involve great suffering. It can often involve great loneliness. It can often involve great despair. But they are times that God is doing a great work in you. Did I say that too fast? Because I really want you to understand that. That those times of pruning that are so very, very hard, remember that God is doing a great work in you. And this is the most important point for you to remember. And you gardeners that hate the pruning back process, I hope this is going to make you love it. And just the thought of this visual brings tears to my eyes to remember that when your heavenly Father is pruning you, that when a gardener is pruning the, the branches your heavenly father is never closer to the branch than when he's pruning it. And you might think he's so far from you, but as you abide and sometimes as you come out of it, you realize that, that he had to get close to me to, to prune me. And let that sink in. Let that sink in. Why does he do this? Why does he get up close and then seemingly cut us back so we learn to abide in him? And so we produce, as he says, we bear more fruit. And if you're a new creation in Christ, you're a new Christian, please understand that, that life, the Christian life, takes time to abide, to learn to abide. It takes multiple prunings and sometimes you will learn that prunings are a lifelong process. Two verses from the Old Testament, Psalm 119.67, he says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. What is he saying? I wasn't keeping your word, and then I got pruned. And the Lord helped me understand why he gave me his word. Same Psalm, Psalm 119.71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. In the New Testament, Hebrews 5.8, talking about Jesus. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. So what is, what is the fruit that God will bear in us? Well, it's things like godly motives, godly desires, godly attitudes, deeds done in faith, walking in faith, drawing near to the Lord. Many places we could talk about in the New Testament. I'll just read from one, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
against such there is no law. But yet this is another one of those words that's kind of interesting. The word prune can also be translated to make clean or purify. So, so what does that mean? It's, it's, it's getting rid of the dead growth that's on a branch. It's, it's God the Father getting rid of the things in our lives that hinder us from abiding in Jesus, from being fruitful. Now, now these, Jesus didn't have these things. He was perfect. So he did suffer, but he didn't have to, you know, he didn't have to get, have these things in his lives, you know, cut out like that. For us, it's what? It's perhaps a, a bad habit. Perhaps bad attitudes, bad desires, a bad friend or bad friends, bad values. But when these things are being cleaned out of our lives, it's very, very important to know that it's the work of God, not us. We, we do, I would say, bring some sense of a willing heart, but if you're, if you're being pruned, it's, <laughs> so it's God's like, I'm taking it. Why is it important that we know it's the work of the Lord, not us? Because so we don't get proud and think we did it. I mean, I hear sometimes people, they give their testimonies, or sometimes we call them bragamonies, and they're talking about how bad they were, and now they're, they're this and they're that. And you know what they're doing? They're stealing God's glory. And when you steal God's glory, you know what God does? He prunes you back again. <laughs> don't inv- Listen, pruning is necessary, but I say don't invite it because it hurts. Number three, a very short point, but again, half a year. Actually, you could say this is the life of Calvary Chapel. We experience Jesus through the Word. We experience Jesus through the Word, verse 3. He says, you are, you are already clean, talking to the apostles, because of the Word which I have spoken to you. Now, once again, we think about the, the farmer and in the ancient, or the gardener. In the ancient world, it was common for the gardener to, watch, to wash all the bugs off and moss off a branch. And we know that the Lord washes us with his word. When you hear the word of God, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. You, you turn to God and put your trust in Jesus. We could argue when that happens in your spiritual awakening. That's not our purpose today. But what happens? God, you could read about this in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, by grace through faith, makes us clean. We are cleansed of our sins. We are what we call saved from our sins, rescued from our sins. We have the forgiveness of sins in eternal life. And that's what I think he's talking to the apostles here. Now he's taking them up a level. You have already been cleansed by me. Now I want you to learn about abiding in me. Remember, we said last week that abiding doesn't save you. You are saved and then you abide. And so the Word of God initially cleanses us and continues to cleanse us from our sins and, and our, all, of our, all of our gunk, if you will. It's a part we call sanctification, becoming more like Christ. And I said Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, 10 says that we are saved unto good works. 
So, so forgiveness of sins, the grace of God, forgiveness of sins and eternal life comes first. Then that's followed by good works, not in reverse. Say, by grace, through faith, unto good works, not by good works. Very important that we get that order correct. So I believe he's saying to the apostles, again, it's going to get really nasty, really quick, really crazy. I believe he's encouraging them, saying, I have already made you clean. I have given you a new identity, one that, one that will last for eternity. And this is a huge thing in our culture today. There are so many people attaching themselves to so many different identities. Jesus comes along and he says, no, 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 this is not what I, what I want for you to do. I want you to find your identity in me. And having been made clean by Jesus, pruned by the Lord, cleansed by the word of God, we, we respond to Jesus by abiding in him and what happens? We begin to bear fruit. It's seen in the way that we live. First Peter 1.23, the apostle Peter says this, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. Uh, some verses say not perishable seed, but of imperishable. Through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. 2 Corinthians 7, 1, the Apostle Paul uh, wrote these words, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness uh, of the flesh and the, spirit, and the Spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Some Old Testament, Psalm 119, 9, How can a young man cleanse his way? Important verse. By taking heed according to your word. Well, we experience Jesus through the word. So much more could be said, but we have to move on. Number four, we experience Jesus through intimacy. We experience Jesus through intimacy. This is what we mean, if you're a guest with us here today, this is what we mean by we, when we say we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Most people, honestly, when you tell them just out of the blue, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, they look at you like you're crazy. Like, what are you talking about? So this is what we mean by it. He says, verse 4, Jesus says, Abide, some versions say remain, in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. A branch cannot bear fruit unless it's connected Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. In other words, there'll be no spiritual fruit in your life unless you are continually connected to me. So without a vine, a branch cannot live, and it certainly cannot bear fruit. It's only kept alive by the vital connection, the branch is only kept alive by the vital connection that it has to the vine. Now, Jesus is not talking about literal branches. He's clearly talking about the human responsibility of followers of Jesus to abide. 
Now, this takes what we often refer to as grace-motivated effort. When you trust in Jesus, God gives you the power and the ability to abide. Our responsibility then, our response to that is to live in trust and dependence and obedience to God. Now, often you'll hear from people who'll say that they're followers of Jesus. They'll say stuff like this to you. Don't forget that Jesus has promised. He ended Matthew's gospel with it. We saw it you know, a number of months ago. Don't forget that Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. And a lot of people will say, that's great, but I don't sense that. I don't, if you will, feel that. It doesn't seem like it's my reality. Why is that? Not abiding. That's it. He's there, but he hasn't left you. He hasn't forsaken you. The vine dresser is close to you when he's pruning you, but by not abiding... We're not aware of such things. Abiding is a heart that is living in fellowship. We could also say in communion with God. And this is why some of the things that that Jesus says make no sense to people or they make sacraments or sacrifices out of it because they don't understand what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Jesus says, eat my flesh. Jesus says, abide in the true vine. What is Jesus saying? He's essentially saying, I am what keeps you alive. That's what he's saying. It's not like go make a, you know, some vine sacrament or something like that. He's, he's using these things to them, which would be pictures of how you stay alive. And he's saying, I am the one who keeps you alive. And I fear loved ones that we are often too casual about this, not realizing the diligence that is required to experience the presence of Christ. I know many people that are spending four, six, eight hours a day on social media. I'm not poo-pooing social media, but I'm saying... Do you sense that you're abiding in four to six or eight hours of social media? Listen to this verse. This is one that you really have to remember. Hebrews 2.1. The writer says, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard from God, lest we drift away. If we're not abiding... It is so easy to drift away. Now, some of you, I know, you have that paranoia streak running through you. You have that low-level guilt. And it's interesting, it's often the people that serve with all their heart that have that low-level guilt. The people who do nothing, like, oh, I'm fine, no problem. You think, what if I mess up? What if I mess up? John 10, 28, we've referred to this verse many times before, but it's essential to understanding this. Jesus says this, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. I give them eternal life, they're going to heaven, they shall never perish, they're not going to go to hell. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. You're caring that you messed up. You're caring whether you abide or not. 
your grace-motivated effort to abide in Jesus, to stay attached to Jesus, are an evidence that you are in his hand. Did you hear that? If you were not in his hand, if someone was able to snatch you out of his hand or you never were in his hand, you wouldn't care. You'd have an attitude like this. Ain't no Bible, ain't no preacher, ain't no church going to tell me how to live my life. (laughs) You're not like that. But, But let's not all assume and even people we engage with assume that, that we have eternal life, we have the forgiveness of sins and eternal life with God through Jesus Christ just because we say that we do. It's necessary, we'll talk about this next week, that we look for fruit in our own lives. We look for evidences of grace that we, that you, that me are abiding but not just outwardly as Judas did. Judas looked like the real deal. I can remember when I was a kid, we'd have these people in church. I was an altar boy, and they'd be all holy, like some of our, some of our teachers and some of our youth group kids know the story of, of our, our librarian, Mildred, who we all called her Mildew. I mean, <laughs> there would be Mildew, all holy at church, Right before I'd be an altar boy looking at her and then treating us like pure garbage in the library. People who I knew were just acting so holier than thou, but then I'd go up to school and they'd be so incredibly nasty. Oh, you can look like the real deal in certain environments. You can put on the mask. You can put on the face. That's what Judas did. But Jesus wasn't in his heart. He wasn't attached to Jesus. Again, Judas looked like the church attending real deal, but inwardly he lacked Christian character. Inwardly he he lacked service to the Lord and for the Lord. Inwardly he loved himself, not Jesus and not people. And the truth of the matter is this, and it's so important we catch a hold of this, is the more one abides in Jesus, the more one stays close to Jesus, the more you will experience His loving presence. Did you hear that? The, one, the more you abide, the more you stay close to Jesus, the more you will experience His loving presence, and that is a fact, and it is a promise out of the mouth of Jesus himself. In fact, he just told the apostles it. John 14, 21. He who has, Jesus says, he who has my commandments, this is Last Supper teaching, he who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest, another version says, reveal myself to him. So he says, if you love me, you'll be loved by my Father, and I will love you too, and we will reveal ourselves to you. 
That is intimacy with God. That is what it means to have a relationship with God. It means that you love Him. You know that He loves you. You know that He knows everything about you. And day by day, He is teaching you about Him. Now, occasionally I hear people say, I met a pastor one time up here who said, well, I know everything I need to know about Jesus. That is the saddest thing I've ever heard anybody say in my life. I am fortunate that I get to spend so much time studying the Word of God so I can bring that to you. Not ideas that pop into my head, but studying the Word of God so I can teach it to you. And I know nothing compared to when I started because I thought I needed to know this much about Jesus. And now I realize it's infinity. And the learning process is joyous. And that's part of a relationship with God. Even the pruning is part of a relationship with God. Perhaps you might, it might be easier if you think of it this way. As you, as I, as all of us, as you abide and remain in Jesus, as you produce fruit, as you, your life produces fruit, as you live the word of God, you will become keenly aware that Jesus himself is abiding and remaining in you. Again, I, these are concepts that we have to understand if we're going to grow and have a fulfilled Christian life and we're going to really experience Jesus. As you abide, as you remain in Jesus, as you live out the word of God, you will become aware that you're abiding in him and he has been abiding in you. You are remaining in him that he has been remaining in you. If you don't do that, if I don't do that, we will not be aware of something that already exists. Spiritual fruit is produced when we abide in Christ and the power of God flows out of a follower of Jesus. Now, some people right now, they're saying, well, what does that mean for my life? How about just some simple, simple kindness? How about just doing something for somebody else without expecting them to do anything in return? How about someone you see carrying a heavy burden? You know, the world sings, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. But we're like, well, can you help me? Well, I'll have to pray about it. What do you mean you have to pray about it? Help. Simple kindness. Pick up your phone. I actually have been reading that phone calls are actually coming back in style. Actually, pick up your phone and make a call with it. We do everything with our phone except what? Make a call with it. And also remember this, though, that, that abiding may also show you that there needs to be some pruning of certain attitudes and practices in your life. But that's what a relationship with God is. When God loves you enough to tell you the truth and says, listen, this needs to be pruned, this needs to be cut out, and I am here to lift you up. I am here to help you with that. Just bring a willing heart. Just take one step at a time, and I will help you. Earlier, I cited the, the new Barna poll that said one out of three professing Christians seem to be giving up. You say, oh, no, Pastor Jim, that's not what you said. 
and I read the poll, you said that they're giving up on, on church, Pastor Jim. doesn't necessarily mean that they're giving up on Jesus. But the book of Ephesians tells us that, that Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. So I think it's fair to say that the Christian life is more than just church attendance. But it's certainly not less than church attendance. And I know that even right now you think, well, we're not attending right now, but you are. You are collectively worshiping God through listening to his word and saying, God, I want this abiding life. I want it so badly. Or maybe you're not a Christian. You're like, I want this. I'm so tired. Every identity I put on myself is falling apart. I, I want this life. These days, many followers of Jesus seem unfulfilled in their Christian life, and I'm talking for the last 15, 20, 30 years. We can blame it on a lot of different things. We can blame it on people. We can blame it on our culture. We can blame it on busyness. We can blame it you know, on, on our circumstances. And so what do people do? They dive into ways to try and fix it. Many people dive into good works. They think, well, if I do good works, that will help make me feel better, or they dive into a new hobby or a new identity that they often find very quickly or sometimes after a long time, which is really sad, that they are on an unfulfilling dead-end street. Even people who read their Bible and pray, that's good. If you're not doing that, you should. The old expression says this, if you don't talk to God in the morning, you may have trouble finding him the rest of the day. But yet, you're reading your Bible and you're praying, maybe in the morning, maybe in the afternoon, maybe at night, and you still feel empty. And so you go another route. We have all, you think, oh, I need a counselor. We have all, we have all kinds of Christian self-help books, all kinds of sermon series on this kind of stuff. Yet, Look around at so many people in this world, including followers of Jesus, and there are so few smiles. There is so little joy. If you are a Christian, that is a sign of drift. That's what that is. That's what that is. If you never crack a smile, if there's nothing that brings joy to your heart, that is a sign of drift. And we hear the Lord pleading with us, in a verse that's often used for salvation, but it is not, Revelation 3.20, Jesus says to believers and to a church that had lost their way, they had drifted. He says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I'm standing here. I'm knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him, into him and dine with him and he with me. Friends, you can put, I can put all kinds of band-aids on our emptiness. We can put all kinds of band-aids on our fears. And Jesus simply comes along and says, here's the thing, man. Here it is. Abide in me. Forget the booze. Forget the drugs. Forget the, the, the other stuff that you're doing. Whatever it is, good stuff even that you're doing to try and, try and kill the pain he says, abide in me and I in you. Abide in me, Jesus says, and you will know 
stay attached to me, and you will know that I am with you. Maybe John 15 is only for me. I'm perfectly willing to admit that. But I feel like Jesus is saying, when we feel this emptiness, when we feel that something is so desperately wrong, when we're prone to say this Christian thing is not working for me, that we're missing the real problem. It is an abiding problem. It is an abiding problem. When we don't want to get out of bed and hear the word of God and be amongst God's people and worship with God's people, it is an abiding problem. Yet, this is not a problem that we fix as much as this. As Jesus just said in Revelation 3.20, it is an invitation to receive. Jesus says, I am inviting you to abide in me. I am abiding you to 24-7 trust in me. And fulfillment and fruitfulness will come out of that, loved ones. It really will. That is an identity that will never fail with age. That is an identity that will never fail with circumstances. That is an identity that will never fail with a changing culture. So let me ask you the obvious but not so obvious question. Do you want this joy? Do you realize that the abiding life is a fruit that you bear in and of itself? It is a gift of the grace of God, and that fruit grows, the fruit of abiding grows as we abide more and more and more. There is simply one condition to the abiding life. That is, you must be in Christ before you can abide in Christ. That means you must Putting your tr- you must put your trust in Jesus before you can abide in him. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're, you're wondering this. You're, I get emotional, honestly. This is me talking about my own, <laughs> my own salvation of, oh gosh, 32 years ago. You might think, that God doesn't want you. But oh, the great lengths that God went to just for you. God sent his son to live a perfect life in your place. Do you realize that Jesus perfectly abided in his father 24-7? You've heard me say this before. To me, that is the most amazing thing. That is more amazing than any of the miracles. That is more amazing than anything. 24-7, perfect abiding. And then, in the greatest act of love ever seen, God's perfect son was pruned on a cross for you and for me simply because he loved you and to bring glory to God. Because it brings glory to God when people put their trust in Jesus. He he did all that so who would ever turn to God, turn from their sins and turn to God and put their trust in Jesus, 
could have the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And friend, you can do that today. You can be adopted by the king. And you can be invited to open the door and to abide with Jesus forever. To experience Jesus now and to experience him forevermore. Well, let's pray.